from the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show are honored that you're joining us today. Whether you're on the West Coast or in the flooded desert of Arizona, where I am, as a matter of fact, our guest is as well. And you're sipping a cup of coffee, the East Coast getting ready for lunch. In Europe, maybe sipping a glass of wine, or you're somewhere in between. Or maybe you're even listening to the archive of the show. I know you'll be glad you joined us. You will learn something new. On the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and provide great ideas for building your wealth. Occasionally, we cover topics to help you avoid losing your wealth, which is exactly what we'll do today. This weekend, I took a few hours off to watch the movie Queen of Versailles, which very dramatically depicts a billionaire couple losing most of their wealth during the Great Recession. Now, it is a true story. It's a documentary in style. And I guess we could say it's a riches to rags story. Granted, their loss was primarily due to bankers, lawyers, and real versus intellectual property. But just like our topic today, some risk analysis and planning could have reduced the loss significantly. At the end of the show, I'll share some of the key messages I got from that movie and how it ties into our upcoming series on financial literacy. I was particularly... uh, Uh, struck by this movie since I manage a residential real estate fund, which could have been affected just like the company depicted in that movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Your local library may even have a copy you can borrow, The Queen of Versailles. Lately, I've been starting with a quote to set the tone for our show. For today's show, I couldn't decide which of the two I found is more appropriate, especially after seeing that movie. So let me share both. Don't every, this is the first, don't ever let anyone steal your dreams. That's by Dexter Yeager. Don't let, ever let anyone steal your dreams, Dexter Yeager. And the second, a lawyer with his briefcase can steal more than 100 men with guns, Mario Puzo. So let me repeat that one as well. A second is, the second is, a lawyer with his briefcase can steal more than 100 men with guns. Mario Puzo. Now you could say he was a sexist, who could be a lawyer, could be a she as well, but you know that he, she stuff is pretty awkward in a quote. After we bring our guest on the air, we can tell, you can tell us through the chat window below, and I haven't even checked on it. I've got to make sure it's, I've got, got everything up and running here. Yep, I see the chat window just great. So anyway, uh, when you have the chat window up, you can just put in your, um, your vote, which you like better for the show. So once you start hearing the show and what we're talking about, one of those two quotes may be more appropriate for you. I'd be, uh, appreciate that feedback. And we probably won't be able to fit in phone calls during the show to the amount of material we have to cover. But you can call in. Our producer can send me a chat. Now, on several recent shows, we talked about U.S. companies reducing their tax rates by merging with companies headquartered in other countries or moving their headquarter operations to reduce their tax rate. This phenomenon has been referred to as corporate inversions. Now, I specifically criticized Walgreens corporate executives who ignored that responsibility to shareholders to reduce expenses, including taxes. Walgreens' stock price plummeted more than 14% when they decided to keep paying the higher U.S. tax rate. Well, evidently, the executives at Burger King either listened to this show or they learned from Walgreens' mistake and did the right thing by deciding to move their corporate headquarters to Canada. Of course, that decision is still reversible, just like the prior 22 major corporations who did the same. But it requires the U.S. government to lower U.S. corporate tax rates. I'll also remind you that corporations do not actually pay taxes. Any taxes they have to pay are calculated into future prices, and therefore their customers and ultimately the consumers pay those taxes in the form of higher prices. Before we dig into our main topic of intellectual property protection, I thought I'd share one more indication that what you hear on this show can predict future events. Alexander Green was our guest two weeks ago, sharing his optimism for the future and for the equity markets. Now, in that short period, that two weeks, 
the S&P 500 index of U.S. equities reached five more record highs. Now, a pessimist might point out that those five new record highs amounted to less than a 1% increase, so no big deal. Although anyone who lost money shorting the market the last two weeks wouldn't feel much better hearing that. So my prediction following the show is that there will be many more entrepreneurs and business people doing an inventory of their intellectual property, which incidentally is often abbreviated by the initials IP, and I may use those interchangeably. Today is Monday, September 8th, 2014. It's 9.05 a.m. in Arizona and the West Coast, and 9.05 on the, um, as I said, of the West Coast as well. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you might want to connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, all one word, single word, put together, The Ronald. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. And yes, they survived. All their investors earned money, and they were even profitable during the Great Recession. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, you can find them in the archives. Just go to wealthdna.us where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. I recommend using the chat window because, as I said, we have a lot of material to cover. Or if you can't use the chat window as you're driving or in the car, just call in 917-388-4162, and our producer can send me the message. The U.S. equity markets are off to a negative start today. Asia was mixed or maybe confused. Europe, which just closed, was down, and Brazil is down slightly. Pretty normal for a Monday, although it may be a reaction to another sign of the EU becoming less united. Now, our special guest to discuss intellectual property protection is Barbara Luther, the founder and owner of the Luther Law Firm in Scottsdale, She's a member of the U.S. Patent Bar, travels nationally giving seminars to aspiring business owners and entrepreneurs on IP tips and marketing strategies. You get the opportunity to hear her by just tuning in. And for those of you stuck in flooding, can appreciate that. Barbara has secured hundreds of patents for individuals and companies around the world. Incidentally, she's a returning guest to this network. She has been a guest on the Boomer and the Babe show. First time on this show... Let's give a warm radio welcome to Barbara Luther. Welcome, Barbara, and thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Ron. And I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself if you go to a cocktail party, let's say? Well, I like to tell people I help you protect your names and ideas with patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And then I help you profit through licensing. Okay, All right. that's a good point. I hadn't even thought we probably won't get a chance to talk about some of the licensing aspects. I'll make sure you have some opportunities to, to, to cover some of the key things. Now, probably a good place to start is at the beginning. I don't always do that, but could you share with our listeners what's meant by intellectual property or IP as we sometimes refer to it? Intellectual property includes people's creativity. It can be a song, a movie, uh, a new idea for carpet cleaning. It can be a new um, consumer product. It can be a way of um, um, processing uh, money more efficiently uh, by software. It's really quite a wide category nowadays. Basically, it's not real property, and it's not securities. Okay. So we have a, we have a, a, a big, big field to roam in. Okay. So like I, I mentioned earlier, where uh, our uh, the movie the. Uh uh, heroes or the victims in that movie were indeed in real property. We're talking intellectual property, kind of the soft stuff, but creativity, songs, ideas. Okay. Now, it's likely that 90% of investors and business people who are our typical audience feel this topic's not relevant to them since they don't have any IP to c- protect. Could you share with us some examples of the work you did for clients, let's say in just the last week or two? What are some of the projects you're working on? Well, um, current, um, yesterday I was working on a carpet cleaning system that's going to be uh, much more effective and uh, literally sterilize your carpet and home so that you don't have mold, which is going to be really important in Phoenix in the next few weeks. <laughs> good point, good point. We don't usually think about mold much around here, but that is that is a good point. Okay, so, so there would be a... Um, 
I guess what I would think of as, as uh, more of the traditional IP kinds of work. But before we dig into specifics, would you share with our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about your firm and your services? Uh, yes. Um, we have a website, mm-hmm. com. Okay. That's an and, easy one. The Luther, Luther Law Firm, Luther, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Dot com. Yes. Okay. And then Excellent. the email is is a little different. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, hn, as in never, at okay. lutherlaw.us. Okay. So just the lutherlaw.us. Gotcha. Okay. So without yes. the the mm-hmm. in the firm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, mm-hmm. Pareto's 80-20 rule taught us that with any topic, including IP, 20% of the topics account for about 80% of the projects you're going to undertake. I'm assuming that patent protection is indeed that within that 20%. What else is? I, I do a lot of work for small businesses in protecting their names and slogans. I recently okay. saw an article that um, polled about a thousand small businesses, and they said that there's an average of two intellectual properties to protect. One would be a name, a company name, or a product name, and the other is often a slogan. And people should consider that because if they don't protect them, then other people can just walk with them. Locally, a company had a wonderful slogan. The employee left, and the employee started using the slogan and confusing and taking away customers. That's not fair. I want you to be protected before that happens. Right, so all the marketing dollars you're spending are actually helping somebody else in that case or potentially helping somebody else. Okay, good one. But let's start then back with patents, kind of probably the biggie on the the work you do. On the surface, it would seem patents only apply to companies and individuals who invent things like better mousetraps or maybe a better carpet cleaning system, a physical device. Do patents apply to others as well? Um, um, Patent protection has reached into all areas of life um, in the last 20 years, and I've been practicing for 25 years. We see it getting into uh, new um, molecules for for new drugs. We see it in new devices and methods for producing ever better um, movies and um, sound effects. Wow. So it reaches into every area. All right, so it's not just physical products as we would have thought of it traditionally. It's into uh, the software and and, and processes, uh, uh, technology, molecules. That one really surprises me, but um, I I guess it shouldn't. I mean, that that is definitely, you know, technology when it comes to the the drug world. Okay. Well, let me take a, a, a soft example. Someone develops an app for a smartphone. And this app they've developed is unique and smarter than a fifth grader. Can that be patented as well? Um, Sometimes it has to have a new function that was not performed um, by hand or mentally. Um, uh, The um, uh, Supreme Court has recently limited uh, what we can do in the software area. So, um, but but the thing is to do to do is to come in and show it to us. And, and we can find out what all your app interfaces with, which can help patentability. And then we can give you a, a read on it, and we can give you um, a budget and a timeline. Okay. So you have some sort of research team or something also that available to you that then can check. Because you can't know all of this stuff. Uh, but somebody then that would research other um, applications out there, other um, uh, other patents, uh, what has been covered, what hasn't, uh, and, and, and the newness of something. Because you can't possibly assess all of those things as, as, as a lawyer, right? So you've got some researchers doing that. Right. Some patent lawyers do like to do it, but I use um, a couple of uh, search companies. They actually have agreements with the U.S. Patent Office to be have a high level of confidentiality, and to follow the the methods set out by the patent office. I use them because they're cost-effective, and they do have many experts. And finally, because we can get the best uh, prediction of what the patent office will tell us a year or two down the road. 
Okay, you touched on something I hadn't hadn't thought of, of bringing up, which confidentiality. Obviously, if I come to you and I've got this great idea, uh, I, I'm going to make the assumption, and I hopefully you'll confirm that as as a lawyer, you're not going to go off and try to patent the same thing uh, under your name. You probably have some some ethical or even in legal ramifications of doing that. But then anybody that's involved in this process, you need to have some sort of um, uh, confidentiality or confidence that they're not going to do that. Correct? Absolutely. Um. And, and for uh, lawyers like me, there are state rules, and I've admitted to the bar in Arizona, California, and Illinois, that require that we keep confidential things we learn while we're exploring starting mm-hmm. a, an attorney-client relationship. And then okay. afterward, uh, basically I tell people, I'll lose my ticket if I don't keep your information confidential. And I like what I do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You're, you're probably not going to be uh, the, the expert at, uh, at, at running a uh, carpet cleaning uh, sales uh, manufacturing production company as well as doing lawyers. So, um, I think you, they've, got, they've right. got some safety there. But, yeah, I, okay, yeah. it's just one of those things I guess our, our listeners want to think about when they're, when they're talking to others to get advice. You've got to keep things kind of close to the vest when it comes to uh, sharing, uh, obviously, uh, lawyers and getting advice maybe on that aspect as well is, a, is an important one. Haven't thought of that. Okay. And it's really important nowadays, Ron, because they changed the patent laws a year and a half ago, and now if you tell somebody your idea, they can go file on it and cause a lot of trouble for you. They may own it. You may have to fight to get it back, and that can okay. be very, very expensive. Good point. I didn't think of, of folding that in, but while we're on that, I think that's an important topic. So what you're talking about is what is it then? It's a first to file it that covers it rather than the first one that kind of came up with the idea? Correct, Ron. It changed from uh, first to invent to first to file. So nowadays you have to um, file your patent application before you make any sales and um, basically before you tell anybody. It's really important to sign confidentiality agreements with people. But even then, um, sometimes there's confusion as to who invented what when you're talking with a partner. Mm-hmm. And if if you don't want the partner to be first to have the first to file rule in their favor, you file first. Okay, so th- there'd be another piece. If I've got a, a, a generic confidentiality agreement, I'd probably want you to review that to make sure that it, the specific wording of this being defined as in, uh, intellectual property uh, would be covered. Because, I mean, that's one of the, the stipulations is later if you want to argue with this person and, and, and be able to get that patent back, uh, you've mm-hmm. got to be able to show that they violated the confidentiality, correct? And absolutely. And you want to have a trail of information like exchanged emails, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that's easy for me to do. I've got probably the largest email <laughs> archive of, uh, in the world. Um, okay, now, but once I have a patent, then no one can use that technology I protected, I protected unless they contact me for licensing arrangement. So once I have that patent, I don't have any legal issues to deal with, right? Unfortunately, wrong. Uh, That was a leading question, obviously. Yes. Yes. Okay, tell us about that. How does that work? In the the U.S., um, you have um, uh, the right to exclude others from uh, practicing your invention. You do not necessarily have the right to manufacture and sell your own invention because there may be preceding patents that cover your invention in one way or another. And I've been recently been working with some people who have a, a, a fire suppression system, and they were they wanted to bring it into the U.S. and but they were threatened by a local manufacturer who has patents, and so I helped him review the patent the competitors' patents mm-hmm. and found that they don't infringe, fortunately. But that's called a right to use opinion. So we have to not only go forward and obtain patents, but make sure we aren't infringing others. If we if we don't bother to check if we're infringing other people, we can be sued for triple damages. Ooh. And the company can go under. Ouch. Okay, triple damages. Yeah. I'm, I'm learning a couple new things. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in the first segment here yet. Boy, now let me remind our listeners, it might be a good time to do that. You're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you miss some of the prior shows, like the ones I mentioned earlier, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on www.wealthdna.com. 
wealthdna.us. Now, if you'd like to get an email reminder of each of the shows, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. You can do that on the website as well, but an email is probably faster. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or, as I mentioned, you can follow The Ronald, all one word, on Twitter or Facebook. Now, reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, yes, you, our listeners, to ask questions. Easiest is to start a chat in the area below the radio player. Or you can call in. Our producer will send a message to me. That call-in number, 917-388-4162. Now, our topic today is intellectual property, or IP, protection, which we're discussing with Barbara Luther, founder and owner of the Luther Law Firm. And I say that distinctly so that you'll be able to find it on the website in Scottsdale, who specializes in IP protection. Now, Barbara, one of the companies I worked with, and they had a lot of different patents in the technology area, specifically cell phones, and uh, also patents pending. They said they preferred to have patents pending than even fully approved. Why would that be? What's the advantage of the patent pending? Well, um, there's a couple things. Number one, if a patent is pending, patent application actually is pending, mm-hmm. then um, it's it may be secret for a while, and that, that um, messes with the minds of the competition. They're trying mm. to guess what is that patent application pending going to cover one day. The other thing that's extremely valuable is that as competitors come out with new products, we may be able to adjust the wording of the patent application to cover that product uh, explicitly Ooh, and clearly. Okay. Uh, whereas it might, like with the um, fire suppression, the words the words are cast in stone. It's, the patent is issued, and mm-hmm. we were able to find ways around that. Okay. Uh, so, all right. That that is. There's actually two big. And I never asked him that question. We we obviously help him start a business in another country, and and that wasn't our main focus. But I kind of noted mm-hmm. that in my bag of tricks for the future, and I thought, boy, what a great opportunity to ask that, that question now of somebody that knows. And he may have known of one aspect or both. There may be he's run into that situation before. So basically keeping somebody guessing, and the yes. guessing game can be adjusted a little bit uh, depending on what else gets um, either filed or, or invented in the meantime. Okay, very, very, it is a big advantage, and I, I don't think anybody listening to the show would have known that unless they uh, they are an inventor. Now, you mentioned in addition to patents, you also deal with uh, with name and uh, slogan protection. Tell us what that entails. Um, uh, we file for uh, pa- uh, trademark applications for mm-hmm. those, and it's a good idea to do a search for those first because you may invest in a whole marketing campaign, say a million dollars for TV advertising, and find out, um, that you can't use that word. You have to take everything down. You have to rebrand. You have to relabel and start a whole new campaign. So you've wasted that million dollars. Now, for wow. most of us, we're not going to waste a million dollars, but sure. do you want to waste $10,000 or do you want to have a search done up front? And we can mm-hmm. help with that. Okay, and I assume even the first step, even before they meet with you, maybe even just uh, using Google, Bing, Yahoo, not to advertise anyone. Oh, but don't can't forget ask. Using one of yes. the internet search engines, uh, even starting with that, is a good uh, a good starting point before they uh, start investing a lot, including even 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 just a meeting. Correct. You're absolutely correct, and I always tell people do that search first because I don't want to take your money, and then bingo, something pops up right away. So um, if we can find it on Bing or whatever, uh, that right. first that's, that that saves you time and money, and you can move forward. And by the way, while we're on that that note of, of Bing, uh, coincidentally, I've mentioned this to a few people. Most people are not aware how that name Bing came about. It actually stands for because it's not Google. <laughs> so uh, it's it, you know it's just one of those great stories you can share with some of your your folks when they're when they're uh, searching for this stuff. Uh, but anyway, for the for the fund I manage, and even for this show, I have a number of trade names registered already, but have not registered them as trademarks. Could you share with us, and obviously I'm curious, what are some of the key differences between those two registrations, the trade name, which I guess isn't available in all states, and a trademark? Right. A trade name is generally a state um, actor, and it covers you within the state to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody's on the internet nowadays, and sure. so that's that's why they need to get a national registration for the trademark because 
Otherwise, there may be somebody in, um, uh, say, uh, Nevada uh, coming up with the same name, and you Mm -hmm. want to protect it. I recently heard about a case where people started a company in in, uh, Arizona, had a great company name, and uh, one of the principals decided he was going to go to California, Mm. get the same name there through the state, and uh, he stole all the customers. Sure, because with all your internet advertising, all they have to do is use something you know similar, and their website will will also attract them. So all of a sudden, the uh, the contact info goes somewhere else under that same company name. Yeah, and I guess that's another thing that that you touched on. I, I guess worth worth emphasizing for our listeners is uh, registering a company name is not the same as protecting it nationally. Because uh, uh, well, let me use Wealth TNA uh, Radio for example. If I if mm-hmm. I have a trade name on that, which we we do. Uh, that doesn't mean that somebody can't still start Wealth DNA Radio in uh, New York City, and I've got a problem because we do broadcast, of course, uh, nationally and even beyond. So uh, there, there'd be, uh, uh, I guess, examples of that being a big problem for for anybody that only did the trade name. But they, but again, there's a tip mm-hmm. that some people may not be aware of that you can do a trade name; it's very inexpensive and at least get you started. Mm-hmm. Correct? Right. Mm-hmm. I assume a lot of people come to you and don't even know that portion. So, so there we've given some free information. How's that? Now, right. when I started, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, everybody's benefiting from from this conversation, especially your yes. insights. Now, when I started BI Solutions as a limited liability company in Hungary, actually of all places, Budapest, Hungary, I registered a number of trademarks. Do those provide any protection in other parts of the European Union? Uh, it was not yet part of the union when when mm-hmm. uh, I first did that. It joined soon afterwards. Mm-hmm. And how about in the U.S.? Uh, no, it, it is a national uh, trademark, and it only operates in the in the country of the, the, where it's registered. And that can be a, a big problem because if somebody here uh, wants to um, use a distributor in Japan, a lot mm-hmm. of times the distributor in Japan will quickly uh, file for the tr- uh, trademark in Japan. He'll own it. And then it's hard to dislodge him if he doesn't do his job because he's the right. owner of your trademark for the country. Right. All right. Uh, now, so, in, so setting in, up international. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Now in Hungary, um, now a part of the EU, there may uh, there may be a way to grandfather it into the EU system. Uh, there, there are a couple of systems operating in Europe right now, and um, um, get get an earlier filing date to protect it. And the same way in the U.S., but if it was several years ago, that that is gone. But you can still file um, for more broadly in, in Europe and also in the U.S. Right, yeah, and I didn't share with you, even though it was before the EU, it was shortly before, so they did do the checking across the EU at that time, so it was... Uh, set up, but uh, just uh, you know, key point was, and I wasn't 100 percent sure that it is basically national, uh, and you need to uh, to go beyond. Especially, great, great tip on, on setting up. I didn't think about that. So many companies want to go international, but uh, there there's a good example where now you've got a um, a permanent partner, whether you want them or not, uh, because yes. they, if they if they, mm-hmm. they register it before you do, you got a problem. So you got to register in all of those places. Um, and I assume it's easier in the next place because you already have that uh, traction, if you will. You already have a track record with that name, and it's probably easier for them to say, okay, you, you deserve to use that name versus somebody else. And it's easy for us because we have uh, attorneys in many different countries that we can uh, just send a copy, um, you know, the, the, send the information to them, and they get right to work for you. Mm-hmm. Of course, they got to translate and all of that good stuff, which is a problem when you're doing work internationally. So it is hard to do by yourself unless you speak all the languages. Uh, let's go back for patents for a moment. Does a company or person who applies for a patent protection in the U.S., does that apply to other uh, major countries as well? Um, no, but however, it secures you international rights. Under the Paris Convention, you have a year in which to file in any foreign country and still get the benefit of your early filing date in the U.S. Um, there, now, I, recently I had to explore ways to get um, to file in some foreign countries at, even after that year expired, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's not easy and your rights are limited. And that client was so happy that I was able to do that. He started calling me General Patton. <laughs> oh, that's great, General Patton. I like that one. I'm to write that one down, too. I may use that. We had General Patton on our, on our show. Uh, excellent. Now, uh, trademarks and copyrights uh, as well. So we, we're talking, uh, uh, obviously, the, the uh, 
reserving the international rights isn't the same, but uh, the the trademarks and copyrights are also national and spoke. Tell us a little bit about copyrights. We haven't talked about those yet. Yes, uh, copyright uh, covers gives you the right to commercialize your your um, creation. For mm-hmm. instance, you you create a, a picture, and you decide you want to um, make lots of copies to it and sell it to Walmart. Um, only you have the right to make copies of your picture. Mm. And okay. if other people are doing it, then you can sue them. Now, for both of these, I'm, I'm, and for patents, I tell people, be sure to first put a warning on your product, uh, TM after your wor- um, word, logo, or slogan, and the copyright warning, which is Circle C, mm-hmm. the year created, the owner, and all rights reserved. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. now if now a lot of people say, "Oh, I have, I automatically have uh, copyright ownership." Well, that's fine. But if you think your product could be copied, then you want to be sure and get a copyright uh, filed and registered. Because okay. if you have it co- registered before somebody copies and you have to sue them, they are required to pay your attorney fees. Oh, okay. But that, that's that, that only helps. if you do the copyright before that. And, and copyrights are, are really um, quite inexpensive compared to uh, most things, and um, people are glad they do it. Hmm. Okay, there's, a, there, there's another good tip. I'm taking all sorts of notes here, by the way. So copyrights have nothing to do with putting it on the copier straight when you're making a copy, right? So it has something to do with uh, who has the right to make those copies. And sell them, right. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, I, I have um, um, uh, uh, a sculpture. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can, I can uh, take a photograph of it myself. But I can't sell those copies because I have copied somebody else's work. So ah. I own it and can use it and look at it and read read the book, see the movie, but we do not have the right to make copies of the movie or picture and send it to somebody else. That that People get in a lot of trouble with that because they go on the Internet and they say, oh, everything on the Internet's free. I'll just grab that picture I like and put it on my mm-hmm, website. Mm-hmm, okay. And no, everything on the copyright is not free. And um, people have ways now to track who is using their picture. And they can send you a cease and desist letter and ask for $1,000. Wow. Okay. There's, that's, there's that's another... Okay, so uh, repeat that process. So let's say I've got an article, or, or, or would this apply to a book as well in terms of copywriting? Do I have to go through that registration as well? Or does the book name and the fact that I published it, does that copyright it, or does the publisher do it? So, so tell me a little bit about it. If I'm writing an article okay. or a book, uh, what, what does that process look like? Number one, a lot of times the publisher will, will apply for the copyright. and Or you can apply for it yourself even be, to cover... The information, um, the information as a, as presented before it gets into book form. So then you would own a copyright to it too. If if the publisher does it, the publisher may then own the copyright. So think about whether you want that to happen. Mm. Now something that people don't think about is that you come up, you you work hard weeks to come up with the best title for the book that's really going to engage people's interest. And if you have any plan whatsoever of using that title for other things, like one of my, I have a naturopath client who wants to give talks with that great, great title. And so we have applied for a trademark on the title. So nobody mm-hmm. else can use, give talks or, you know, provide workbooks, etc. that use that title. Okay. All right. Now let's. Uh, while I stop taking notes here for a second, uh, what other contests you talked about? You mentioned pictures. You mentioned articles, books. What else can be copyrighted? Um, uh, the, the photographs. Your own website is ah. very important to copyright. Um, I I received a call from somebody in Connecticut, and I was like, Why am I getting a call from that area code? Mm-hmm. And it sure. turned out that somebody here in Arizona had copied the website that was very successful in selling timeshares. And suddenly these folks in Connecticut noticed they weren't getting any more traffic. So then they searched and they found out that the whole thing was copied 
by somebody in Arizona except for one page. Yeah, the contact, contact page. <laughs> I figured yeah. that out. <laughs> right. Boy, it wasn't me doing that, by the way. It's not the, I just, it just sounded very logical. That, uh, right. Wow. Wow. And, of course, now you run that risk as we go back to what we talked about earlier. If you uh, didn't register it, uh, didn't copyright it, so that if somebody sets that up in another state to do business in another state, now you have a, a risk as well. So, uh, Wow. Okay, this is this is uh, turning into a bit of a spider web that I hadn't uh, even fully understood. Now, in this electronic information age, how does the person with that copyright monitor that improper usage of the content? Are there ser- services, or do I have to go out, and I used to do that once in a while, I haven't done that in a long time, to go out and see if my, my, my names are being used by somebody else? How, how is that done in this, uh, in, in this crazy Internet age? Right. Say once a month you might want to, uh, um, you know, schedule an hour or two to pick out long phrases from your material and then search mm-hmm. on the Internet for that, and that would be a good way to do it. And there are uh, services that will um, do uh, what they call a watch for copyright misuse or trademark misuse. Okay. All right. There. So there. So there are some services out there, and again, that you can you can you can help us find those once we get everything all uh, yes. copyrighted and trademarked and whatever else. Now, if I do find somebody uh, uh, infringing, republishing my material uh, under their name, by the way, and I have had this happen with some of my articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides being flattered, what do I do about it? Okay. You might. Uh, well. First of all, make sure that they are giving you proper credit for it. And um, ideally, they would they would not copy huge parts of um, your paper onto their website. They would use a URL to your website. That would be the courteous way to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they're not doing that, and if they're copying a lot of stuff from you, um, you can send a cease and desist letter and tell them to stop doing that. Of course, hopefully you filed, got your copyright registration before that happened. And then you can ultimately sue them. Uh, the other way to get them nowadays um, is to go to their Internet service provider and tell them um, that the company or individual website is, is um, um, stealing your stuff and they should take them down. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was what, as a matter of fact, that is what uh, I ended up doing. So, I mean, they literally took my whole article and put their name on it. Uh, in another case, it was pretty funny. They, I think they translated it to another language with some electronic translator and translated it back to English. It sounded pretty funny, uh, but it was basically <laughs> my article. Uh, so, and, and evidently, they were doing this with, with a bunch of material just to build up their, their name or something. So anyway, the Internet service yes. provider or in the case of the, the publishing website, because there are a bunch of websites that will publish materials like uh, Ezen, which I use, uh, that uh, will then uh, shut that stuff down. So they're they're pretty good about that. But good tip, good tip. So the cease and desist is also an important piece. And I assume there's some the, some you know format or, or or boilerplate once you've you've uh, helped me put together some of these things that you can then provide me to to shoot off. So we don't have to have you doing all the sending, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. All right. And then okay. and then this would be this this uh, actually can be a. Um, an opportunity for uh, you to get licensing fees. Uh, for instance, I have a trademark mm. owner who comes up with great names for uh, races, and he's finding that the great names are being used by other people, and um, he wanted to go ahead and send his own letter, and I said, well, wait a minute, why don't you add, and, and we can discuss um, um, a royalty, so you can continue to use this, and but pay me a, a certain amount. All right. So then instead of just being flattered, I should try to make money off of this. I would. <laughs> okay. No, that's, that's a good point. So basically, mm-hmm. if, I've, if I've properly protected the stuff, there's no reason that I can't let somebody through a licensing arrangement. I guess that's true of software we use and everything else, which we haven't talked about too much yet. But uh, right. we are, in essence, then uh, getting a fee for using something that those, they don't own it, and they have to, to pay a fee based on what? the number You would negotiate it based on the number of times they're using it or how extensive uh, the scope, mm-hmm. whether it's national or, or regional or one race or whatever in his case. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would uh, uh, then I can set that fee according to that and maybe set up some sort of standard table and work from there. Cool. Yes, that would be a great idea. Ron, right. we're getting even richer. 
Yeah, I guess so. As a matter of fact, one of the things I, I, I'm just thinking, because when you said monitor this stuff, there's there's something I can have one of my assistants uh, put on their uh, to-do list on, on some of the days where they have a little extra time uh, between projects or, or uh, you know, when they just want something that's not quite as uh, brain strain uh, as, as many of our projects are, that they can get onto the sites and just start uh, binging, Googling, uh, asking, yahooing, again, trying to be fair to all of the major yeah. search engines <laughs> out there. Okay, before we continue, for our listeners that just tuned in. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive. Or if you missed prior shows, you can find them on that same archive, www.wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is Barbara Luther, founder and owner of the Law, uh, Luther Law Firm, and that's the actual web address as well, thelutherlawfirm.com, in Scottsdale, who specializes in intellectual property protection, which is our topic today. Barbara, let's talk about marketing materials for a few minutes. We talked a little bit about websites. If I hire a consulting company to develop my logo for me, as I did actually in the case of, of, of BI Solutions, it was 13 years ago, that logo belongs to me and is part of my uh, intellectual property, correct? No. Oh. All right. Um, so that, okay. So now I'm not happy. <laughs> now I'm not happy. I have a feeling with some of our listeners. Let, wait, let's repeat that. Let, let's come up with a better answer. So you're saying I hire somebody to put together my logo. It's not mine. Mm-hmm. Wow. Tell okay. So a lot. Okay. So there there is a rule um, um, for copyright called work for hire, and people assume that okay. I told them to do this for me. I paid them, so it's work for hire. No, mm-hmm. it is not. They are an independent contractor. And when anyone who creates something, um, be it a song or a logo or other kind of drawing, automatically owns the copyright. So uh, we want to have, and many of these people do have an agreement that they will sign with you, and we want to check the agreement and make sure that it says that they assign the copyright to you. Now, that doesn't interfere with your filing for a trademark. Even if you never got that assignment, you can still file for a trademark Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm, you're the mm -hmm. one using the trademark in commerce. Right. They're not. Okay. All right. And and you want to make sure that. Yeah. Theoretically, they could charge me some sort of licensing fee for using my own stuff, I guess, if they really want to be idiots. Exactly. And this gets to be a real sticky wicket where people um, go to a programmer and may pay him ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars to write a program like the app we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the process, the the p- person who paid out the money finds out yes, it's delivered, but they don't own the copyright. And what I've seen is that um, um, programmers will often underestimate the amount of work they will need and give you one price up front. But sometimes they'll say, "Well, I can sell you the copyright for an additional ten or twenty thousand dollars." Wow, I have a feeling we just got the full attention of a few thousand listeners. Uh, do I also have potential ownership issues with uh, the the various websites someone develops for me? Yes, they own the copyright on those unless you get it in writing. You have to get it in writing. Okay, so they've got to assign the rights to me. Uh, and I'd actually heard, uh, doing a little bit of digging before our show, that you can't just say they agree to assign. It actually has to be assign, as you said. Right. There was a case that said agreeing to assign is not the same thing as assigning. So we want to put that, um, make it very clear and positive that they are assigning, which is a legal term, the mm-hmm, mm-hmm copyright and not just agreeing to assign. Agreeing to assign means maybe somewhere down the road they might assign it to you. Right. And it didn't say for not without a fee or anything else, right? If it's agreeing to assign, it just says they're amenable to the idea. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So you did do again, some good studying, Ron. <laughs> oh, I, you know, oh, I try when I when I put these shows together, I try to know enough to uh, be dangerous uh, enough so that I know what questions <laughs> I sure have. But as I started digging into some of this stuff, uh, this is scary, and I would suspect. Yeah. Uh, of the people that have websites and, and, and brand names and uh, uh, logos and all of that stuff, I'll say that 99% probably are not aware of it because the, 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 the consultant that did the work, and we generally would, would outsource this stuff, doesn't have mm-hmm. a, a great interest to tell them. Yes, right. Wow. 
scary stuff. So there, there, uh, there's a tip worth uh, worth the, list, the uh, uh, cost of listening plus a lot more. Mm-hmm. Now, with my many domain names, which are which are like valuable internet real estate out there, I only yes. license the use of do- those domains. So, if I ever forget to pay for registration, that domain could technically be sold to someone or, or licensed to somebody else. Correct? That is correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, domain the name names- itself, I'm licensing, mm-hmm. but my content, I want to own. Yes. You, yes, you can. Yes. And the other thing is that you can get a trademark on the URL, and that helps uh, secure your rights to it. And I tell people a lot of times, yes, I can file the trademark for you, but get the URL first because that is so important to company identity. And and, uh, people are actually watching the trademark office because new trademarks immediately become public. New trademark applications Mm -hmm. become public. Okay. And then they go for the URL, and instead of getting it for 5 or $6 for a year, you'll be charged hundreds or thousands of dollars. Wow. So we want to get the URL first and nail, mm-hmm. nail down the, the similar ones, the Mobi and the Net, and et cetera, and then we can go for the trademark. Gotcha. All right. So it's it's uh, that there there's a piece that I need to uh, do some digging into uh, with you here in the near, near very near future. Now, if I post some variable valuable advice, let's say I do it on somebody else's the blog. They start a blog out there saying, "Hey, what are the you know ten top tips to uh, uh, for la- for new landlords? What would be the things in a, you know?" They start a blog, and I, I put some you know very valuable advice on there that uh, most people would not be aware of. Does that belong to the person running the blog that that content, or is that still my content since I posted it? Hmm. Um, Vague, huh? This was this was that's one yeah. I couldn't figure out for the life of me. I mean, it's, it sounds like right. all new stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be afraid that they would own it because you did okay. send it to their blog. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you may want to put a, you, the copyright warning at the bottom of your ten tips. Ah, there's an idea. Okay. Ah, all right, all right. That's a, that's a good point. So that in essence, I should uh, treat it as material that I've uh, published or am publishing elsewhere, using elsewhere, and just sharing it with them because I own the rights that I'm sharing with them. Okay, but yeah, again, some of these things we're talking about now. Websites have been around for 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 longer than than blogs have. Uh, I'm assuming we're we're still into um, uh, some of the precedent on case history. Probably hasn't been fully set yet. You're correct. You're correct. Um, and a lot of what happens on the internet, of course, is small potatoes, and people won't sue over it. Right. But for the the major companies, they don't want to see they they will stop you very strongly if they see you borrowing their stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you'll get the cease and desist letter and, and the potential fines and licensing arrangement letter probably pretty quickly from from major companies. Yes. All right, so they're they're monitoring the stuff. It's obviously you know a big cost to them, which we'll talk a little bit about. Now, I've developed a number of sayings, taglines, slogans for for uh, the various businesses I'm involved in. Can I trademark those slogans as well? Yes, you can. Um, we do that a lot for people who come up with a slogan that really describes um, uh, the heart of their business. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so uh, we're pretty efficient at that and um, do it f- quite frequently. All right. So there's another piece that I, I should probably be doing. And I assume if I use those slogans on somebody's blog, I'll want to mention that trademark as well as uh, uh, copyright or just, you know, kind of overly uh, protected to let them know that this is, you know, this is our stuff. They, 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 they can benefit from having learned it, but not to use it. And until uh, we file your uh, trademark application and get you a certificate of registration, Mm -hmm. uh, it's best to use TM um, Mm -hmm. with the slogan or word or logo, use TM. Um, And if if the slogan, logo, or phrase describes services, then you would use SM. Ah, but that's okay. a warning to people. It's telling them, you know, this is my special phrasing for my business. Mhm, mhm. Okay, there's a, there's another uh, valuable tip out there. But again, some of this stuff, I'm sure people are taking a lot of notes. Number one, and secondly, going, oh boy, there's a maze of things. How do I get started with them? 
it sounds like a URL is one of those early steps, but again, it probably makes sense to say here are the things we're using in our business. Here's how valuable they are. I'm sure you can sense some of that when they're they're really mm-hmm. catchy phrases. Um, yeah. So I assume some of those uh, TV taglines that were used that were extremely memorable by various uh, uh, companies in the past, those were properly protected so that somebody yes. can't keep using it. All mm-hmm. right, that's uh, so we've got to, we've got to basically do what big companies do. We just have to find cost-effective ways to do that. Okay, right. Now, Ron, I I, can I can sure. I um, sure. tell you a couple of outreach things that I do um, oh, on the web? Yeah, on the website we have a quiz. Uh, because a lot of people say, okay, I have this idea or I have this, you know, whatever, creation, and how do I protect it? So on the website, we have a quiz where you can go through and, and answer the questions, and then you'll get an idea of um, whether patents or trademarks or copyrights are most important for you. And hmm. um, when you when you finish the quiz, you can put in your information, and then we can schedule you for a free 30-minute consultation. In addition, uh, we also have available on the website a uh, mini book that I developed last oh. summer, which is which is I call it Barb's Rules because it's developed from my 25 years of seeing people who already gave away their intellectual property before coming to see me. And Ooh. if you follow my rules, then you'll avoid those problems. So we can send that to you as an electronic mini book. Wow. Okay. So maybe we should now call it uh, general patents uh, rules. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I still like that phrase. So maybe you should you should use that a little bit more. Uh, matter of fact, now that uh, when you send out your bio, you need to mention that uh, is often referred to as general patent. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's a phrase you might want to uh, you know to to uh, see if you can you can trademark. Obviously, uh, it's got to be used in a particular context and all of that stuff. But that's you know that's the stuff people will learn in a, in a direct consultation with you. Now, if I how do I become officially recognized as a source of a saying or quote? Now, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned a couple of quotes, one mm-hmm. by uh, Dexter Yeager, another by Mario Puzo, who are officially, you know, if I go on to find quotes on various topics, they, they're, of course, in my little database of, of, of I love these quotes kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But um, I can go on the Internet and find them. How do I become officially recognized for some of the phrases or quotes that I've coined uh, over the years? Well, um, um, a good way to say that you own the phrase is by putting TM or SM after it. Don't let anyone steal your dreams, um, which you quoted earlier, which I love. Um, uh, Is it is a a great phrase that way? And um, this this is one of the things that I believe in too: is don't let anyone steal your dreams. We can protect them, and we can help you move forward in your business. We have all kinds of uh, referrals that we can make to people who do prototypes or marketing or um, getting a product um, uh, manufactured in China, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so there's, there's some quotes you can put on your website, by the way, that would be probably useful, and that's why I'm hoping some of our listeners give me feedback which one they, they really, you know, struck them as they heard the topic fits better. Uh, you know, the second one I love as well, which is a lawyer with his briefcase can steal more than 100 uh, <laughs> men with guns. And I had heard that vaguely and kind of kept in the back of my mind, so I went to check, and sure enough, it is, it is quoted. I think it's a great one, of course, as I said, a little bit sexist, but there's no reason, I guess, on your website you can't put his slash her. <laughs> uh, a briefcase, because you could you could do the same thing to somebody that doesn't trademark their stuff, right? You, I'm sure you do help people uh, in, in in trying to uh, nab stuff that isn't copyrighted or, or trademarked by uh, the, by the original source, because that's what they're going to you know you're, they're your client at that point, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we fi- figure out a way to uh, handle problems a lot of times. And, and and I have a business background. I went to law school after um, you know 18 years. Um, working for in marketing and in uh, product development before going to law school. So, so I'm really focused on how to help people not only protect their ideas, but also to be able to benefit from them. That's important to me. Okay, I, no, I, I got into patents because, because I, I could see that I could turn a nebulous idea into a gold ingot. Gotcha, exactly. Now I see why the uh, Boomer and the Babe Network wanted to have you on earlier and uh, talk to you about that, because obviously they get involved in a lot of those kinds of branding and, and marketing things, uh, and they don't have a vested interest to tell people that they're not protected uh, in their own business either. 
So uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, they're they're ethical, but at the same time, you know, you don't give information that people don't learn by themselves if you don't need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, here's a real key question: Most entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. business owners, have plenty of issues and expenses to deal with just running their base business. What general advice would you share on how much time and expense they should incur for IP protection? Um, that, that this is always a problem, and I've okay. done um, um, a lot to uh, contribute to the solution. Um, okay. Before the crash, um, I, I was with uh, major law firms in Silicon Valley and Chicago, and people were happy to pay twenty five, thirty five thousand for my patent applications. Here um, in this in this market, um, I, I had to lower that price. But with the crash, I said I want to help. Um, people rebuild America, get their new ideas in the market, create jobs. And I re- reworked how I did patent applications. I cut out all the fat, and it's actually a better patent application than I used to do. And I, I really uh, lowered the price to something, uh, to a fraction of what it used to be. So um, um, so I, I'm, I am highly cognizant of that. And mm-hmm. we also accept credit cards so people can finance their purchases. Um, so, and, and we can give you a budget and a time frame um, to spread out the payments. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, yeah, but it is a key point people need to think about is they're not going to spend, as you said, and I think you said it well at the beginning of the show, which is uh, people are not going to spend a million dollars to protect uh, their their IP if indeed it's not worth a million dollars. So they've got to be careful on, on, on that, that balance. Uh, but, again, working with somebody that does this a lot, you're not going to reinvent the wheel each time. As uh, some lawyers have accused of, of course, of, of, of charging over and over again for the same boilerplate documents. So, uh, you right. know, that, that is an important reason to use somebody that's specialized on this stuff. Real important. Let's remind our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about your firm and services. That website again? www.thelutherlawfirm.com. Excellent. And then the email was a little bit different. Go for that one as well. Yes. H-N as in never, mm-hmm. at lutherlaw.us. We try to keep things short and simple. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, and of course, uh, we, you know, it is your name and people get to know you and associate it with all of that stuff. We've covered a lot of aspects of protecting our IP today. What are some of the key ones you'd like to add or emphasize that uh, maybe we missed something or just some of the key ones we mentioned that maybe didn't, uh, didn't uh, get emphasized enough? Okay, the, one of the most important things is nowadays we don't have a storefront with uh, 40 people mm-hmm. walking by every day. We have websites and we want 40,000 people walking by every day. And mm-hmm. the problem is that a lot of those will be copiers. And I I have heard about Internet stalkers, people with a competing product copying stuff off websites every day. And so it's really important to think about protecting your intellectual property or else you're just a victim to those people. Okay. And, and, and again, the fact that you hired somebody to do it may already jeopardize your, your uh, uh, rights to it if you're not yes. careful. So I think that, you know, that would be another thing I think I would uh, clearly uh, emphasize from our show. Very, very key point, and it's kind of one of those wake-up calls you say, no. It's kind of like, <laughs> oh, oh my. Uh, I, you know, I, it's, just, it's, just, it's going to be amazing how many people were aware of that. Uh, I certainly wasn't until I started digging into this more, and I'm reasonably attuned to this stuff, so that's pretty scary. Barbara, it's certainly a pleasure talking to you. I learned a lot. I hope you'll agree to join us again in the future, especially after our listeners do an inventory of their IP and have lots of questions. That would be great, Ron. Let's do it soon. All right. Appreciate that. All right. If you you. saw the posting for this show and initially thought this topic didn't apply to you, it's very likely you started to change your mind sometime during the show. For example, if you're an angel investor, you probably realize that one or more of the companies you're invested in may not have considered some of that IP protection that we just discussed. And therefore, your investment may be worth less if someone infringes on that IP. It might even be worthless. If you're an entrepreneur or business owner, then you probably started to realize very early in the show that your own business value is at risk. If you decide this topic doesn't directly affect you, and it won't uh, affect some that, that uh, just don't get involved in, in uh, intellectual property at all, that are purely investors passively or 
even actively, but they're not uh, doing the websites and all of that. Hopefully, you'll send this link to many friends and people in your network who would benefit from hearing today's show. Why not forward the link to them or direct them to the Wealth DNA website, and they certainly will appreciate the gesture. For that matter, they owe you. A very important question I asked Barbara before we ended her advice on how much time and expense they should incur for IP protection. Well, each person, uh, each business person especially, needs to put IP protection in the overall context of their business risk. If the loss from someone infringing on your IP is, let's say, it's $100,000, the most you're going to lose because your value, you know, your business is, is pretty much just uh, uh, selling. You could change your names or whatever. You certainly don't want to spend more than, let's say, $10,000 to protect it. I, I'll use the analogy of insurance. If you have a car worth $10,000, you certainly would not want to spend over $1,000 a year on collision insurance. It would not be cost-effective, unless you're really a lousy driver. Now, I mentioned the Pareto principle as well, and it would be worth a conversation with Barbara to pick up the low-cost, straightforward steps that could give you the 80% protection. There are those things that are the lower cost, at least to move you in the right direction. I started the show with two quotes. The first was, don't ever... Let Anyone Steal Your Dreams by Dexter Yeager. And the second, A Lawyer with His Briefcase Can Steal More Than 100 Men with Guns, Mario Puzo. I'd love to get your view on which you felt better. Set the tone for this show. Just send me a quick email. I also mentioned the movie Queen of Versailles, which I highly recommend. It may be one of the best movies I've seen to depict the effect of the housing and banking crisis on individuals. Remember, it is a true story. And we'll try to get one of the key characters on the show to discuss how they would do things differently with hindsight. Now, one of the key messages I got from the movie is having a great business model and having great execution are both necessary for building a major business empire, as he did, but not sufficient. You see, financial literacy and learning from the advice of other millionaires might just be the missing agreement, ingredient, excuse me, hopefully a gap that the Wealth DNA radio show narrows or even fills for you over time. Now, let me mention one specific lesson that came to mind from the book written by, or books actually, multiple ones, by Dr. Thomas Stanley and Dr. William Danko. There's a big difference between the two distinct types of affluent people. There is the ISA versus the BSA. If you haven't read those books, you're going to want to look for those terms. Uh, David and Jackie Siegel, who are featured in that movie I mentioned, are clearly ISAs, making it very difficult for them to survive the Great Recession. A BSA in the same situation would have survived and probably even thrived by acquiring competitors or additional properties at pennies on the dollar. Now, what do I mean by ISA versus BSA? Well, those would be among the many lessons you'll learn or relearn during our upcoming series on financial literacy. Incidentally, Sharon Lecter, the co-author of the Rich Dad series of books, will be our guest to kick off that series next month. ISA, by the way, stands for Income Sheet Affluent. You see, these affluent people, like David and Jackie Siegel, earn a lot, but they don't generally accumulate sufficient IGAs, another acronym I will use periodically, to provide a cushion or reserve on those rainy, stormy, or maybe tsunami days. Today, in Arizona, it feels like one of those. Now, regular listeners will remember IGAs are income-generating assets. Recall your own home and office building are not. IGAs. Now, versus the BSA, that is the balance sheet affluent, these affluent uh, individuals accumulate a lot of assets for their income level. Which are you? Incidentally, only the BSAs are likely to be truly wealthy for life. And that's the key lesson from the books by Dr. Thomas um, Stanley as well as Dr. William Danko. Now, regular listeners know our objective is to share the investment fundamentals inform you of investments that could help you build your wealth. We want to help you and a million other people become millionaires and just as important to stay wealthy throughout your life. Today's topic obviously applies to that. If you missed part of today's discussion, the link in the announcement will take you to the archived version. And, of course, you'll always find the full list of past shows on WealthDNA.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this show. Incidentally, they are actively searching for additional houses in the Phoenix area, often paying a premium, and the sellers can avoid realtor commissions. Our next show will be a show we've rescheduled twice, one you'll not want to miss. We're We'll be covering Myra's 
GRAs, IRAs, and 401ks. A lot of acronyms. That's with Teresa Gillarducci. Covering what may be the most dramatic changes to affect your retirement being planned in Washington, D.C. Now, the change doesn't only affect U.S. citizens. You've seen the same concept already imposed on citizens in several other countries, and we'll mention some of those during that show. Surprisingly, there haven't been any uprising revolts to date over those changes. The question is, will this time be different? Wealth DNA Radio Show will be the fourth Monday of September, Monday, September 22nd. 9 a.m. Arizona, same place, same time. Now, we always find the, uh, you can always find the uh, lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have questions, comments, or if you haven't received my emails reminding you about this show, just send an email to ron at WealthDNA.us, or, of course, follow The Ronald on Facebook or Twitter. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and reviewing your IP and how well you're protected. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>